From breaking news to local stories happening where you live, this is the Jill Bennett Show podcast. But we've got to start with the frustration with regard to leadership, whether or not you uh, missed the Mike Smith show earlier. We've been talking about it all morning long. I've been locked onto the Mike Smith show and we just heard it in the news as well. But it, it, it garners revisiting. Because BC Premier David Eby actually spoke out today. He was he was doing a, a, a media availability on something completely different, stepped up to the microphone, did not mince words, and said this. I am so angry. I am white-hot angry that this person was released, unaccompanied, into the community to have a devastating impact on all of the hard work of all of these community members I cannot fathom how someone who murdered his daughter was released in 2009, went out and stabbed somebody else, would then be released again, unaccompanied, somehow able to go and buy a knife, go to Chinatown and stab three people. How is that possible? Premier David Eby is white, hot, angry, and he is not alone. Our next guest is Port Coquitlam Mayor Brad West. Very frustrated on social media where you, Mayor West. Uh, Brad, thank you for doing this with us today. I saw your tweet yesterday and said, please come on and let's talk this through. Let's open up phones. Let's talk to some people who are feeling the way you and I both do, frankly, uh, on this subject matter. It's not necessarily specifically about uh, the accused here and Blair Evan Donnelly. Uh, his track record, his crimes, or his severe, obvious severe mental illness struggles. But about our system, is it not the frustration of when will this end was what you tweeted? Yeah, thanks for having me, Jody. Um, you know, when I first heard the news, I was absolutely gutted and heartbroken for all those people in, in Chinatown who were stabbed and then all the people who were traumatized. I mean, a community that has been reeling and, you know, they try to come together and have a real positive event and bring community and, and people together to celebrate something positive. And then, and then this happens, the un, unthinkable. And as I learned more about the individual and the circumstances in the background, uh, I got pissed off, quite frankly, because uh, this is not an exception, unfortunately. This is, this is our system at work. And, failure. you know, there system are those failure at work. <laughs> system failure at work, you know, it, it, and there are many of us, yourself included, who have been raising these issues for a long time. You know, it, it, we've just had way too many of them. We've lost too many innocent people. And the question is, what does it take? Where does it end? How many people need to be hurt? before a system that is so sick gets fixed. You know, um, it, it just, it, it really, really frustrates the, the hell out of me. Um, someone, I mean, I can't even say the words. Someone who's, who brutally murdered their own child should never, ever get out of custody. And the fact that this individual did, again, shows you how our system lacks in so many areas. Uh, the BC Review Board that made this decision, you know, they should not be able to hide behind their anonymity. They should be answering people 
for this and for other decisions. You know, that facility that this individual was being held in and had day passes from is in my backyard. It's in Port Coquitlam, right on the border with Coquitlam. And the RCMP have reported in the past that they have had hundreds of people go missing from that facility with very little follow-up or action. To me, it is symbolic of a system, whether you want to call it a legal system, a justice system, it's hard to call it that these days, that has completely lost its way, that has a, a cultural problem. We need to refocus and recenter on victims, on people who get hurt, who are victimized. That needs to be the focus. So whether it's on bail, uh, whether it's on sentencing, whether it's on the abuse that happens with those who receive an NCR designation, this entire system needs to be blown up and rebuilt and refocused on public safety and on victims. NCR, not criminally responsible. That's the designation you were referencing there. Violent, deadly offenders. Uh, Blair Evan Donnelly, as you mentioned, murdered his 16-year-old daughter in 2006, was out on a day pass in 2009 and stabbed his friend. How did he get out again after those to the review board giving him a day pass? That's how Sunday happened. And, and as we heard Premier Eby mentioned, how did he how did he have the ability to go buy a knife to stab these people? This was preventable, Mayor West. It absolutely was. It boggles your mind. Why are the people on the BC re- review panel willing to roll the dice? Willing to roll the dice with someone who is clearly unwell. Has demonstrated that repeatedly who actually had a chance and stabbed his friend after having killed his daughter. Like, uh, I went and reviewed today the members of this panel, and they all have sterling credentials. They all have backgrounds in the legal system. But what they clearly don't have is common sense, because any person with an ounce of sense would know that an individual like that should not be back on our streets to victimize innocent people again. And when people, uh, Brad, when people say that, that the, the victims here are non-threatening uh, injuries, non-life-threatening injuries, but traumatized for the rest of their lives, no question, and bystanders who witnessed these people being attacked randomly, traumatized, um, and, and the argument being, you know, somebody who is suffering from a severe mental health issue uh, such has been identified here with Blair Evan Donnelly uh, multiple times, um, wanting to protect those who suffer mental health struggles. Um, it, this does a great disservice for those who do deserve a second chance, who have have perhaps you know fallen through the cracks, or you know this isn't this isn't a condemnation of of you know, society at large with people who make mistakes. This is clearly more than somebody who's made a mistake in their life. This is, this is, this is the example of somebody who should never be walking through communities unchecked. Absolutely. This is someone who is on a different level. 
clearly, clearly a sick individual, however you want to describe it. And there are lots of people in this province who suffer various forms of mental illness or have mental health challenges who are not violent. Right. Who don't attack people, who don't kill people, who don't kill their own daughter. Right. Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett. The phone lines are stacked up. We're talking about the stabbing in Chinatown, the justice system. You know, the spectrum of mental illness is almost incalculable. So we've got to look at this. When one is clearly responsible for murder or attempted murder, a hate crime, a terrorist act, we ask, what should the consequences be? Has our justice system lost its way in protecting some perpetrators over the public, the greater community, or even the victim? Mayor Brad West of Port Coquitlam is our guest, and our phone lines are open for you to chime in. Mayor West, you're very frustrated with with what uh, we've witnessed here, what we've learned in the last 24 hours with regard to Blair Evan Donnelly, the man who killed his daughter in, tw- uh, in, in 2006 and then was released on a day pass only to stab his friend in 2009 and then now allegedly uh, being held uh, and, and charged with stabbing three people uh, on Sunday evening at Light Up Chinatown. Um not criminally responsible or day passes from the Coquitlam uh, psychiatric uh, forensic psychiatric hospital there. Um, We got, when will it stop is the question we're asking today. When will it stop? I mean, what, what's so frustrating is that we've made a choice to get to this place. And when I say we, I don't mean the people of our country. I, I mean, politicians and others in this system who have prioritized release, you know, from federal legislation with respect to bail to the the whole system of NCR that has been set up. The marching orders to the system have been prioritized release of people who've committed these crimes over public safety, over victims. So the system is working exactly the way it's been set up to. That's why these decisions are made. And so when, uh, you know, whenever something like this happens and, and the, the public is rightly outraged and the politicians come out and they say, well, we're going to review. Mm. Well, what are you reviewing? This is w- the system that they have set up and it needs massive change. Like I said, I think it needs to be blown up. We need to build this from the, from the ground up and it needs to be focused on public safety. It needs to be focused on victims first and foremost. Yeah, it's urgent as well. There is a lot of frustration. Our phone lines are, are filling up here. 604-280-9898. Star 9898 is a free call on your cell. 604-280-9898. We start with Sean in North Van. Welcome, Sean. Uh, hi, Jody. Uh, Mayor West. Uh, community safety across the country is tanked, as we all know, if we've been watching the news for the last year or two. Um, effective community safety is dependent on two complementary or essential elements. One is public safety. That is the core mandate of government at all levels. The other part is personal safety. If you have one without the other, you don't have effective community safety. So I would suggest that while we're blowing up the system and we're looking for things to 
they can have community safety across the country. I'm stunned that no elected official or media person um, is focusing on security of person, Section 7 of the Charter. Oh, that, that's what we're talking about right here, right now. I, I said off the top, I don't feel safe. I don't feel When this happens in my hometown, born and raised here, I, I would happily walk through most areas of, of Metro Vancouver, for that matter, and feel safe, but I don't now. And that is why, that's what's got us so very frustrated. You don't know where you go anywhere where a random attack might happen. And Brad... That wasn't always the way. I think that's Sean's point, is it wasn't always the way here, and, and now we're, we're faced with it. That's right. I mean, and community safety is about people. Communities are people. It's about everyone in our community having the right to feel safe and, and not having to fight so damn hard to be able to feel safe. I mean, I had my own experience with the system. I had an individual who threatened to kill me and my family. Yeah. Showed up at City Hall. Police finally found him. He had a replica gun. I had to fight like hell to have the system take it seriously. Yeah. Because people just wanted to say, well, you know. We'll just reduce those down and, and move it through the court system quickly. We're very busy in the courts. We've got to keep our eye on what happens next. I want to sneak in a couple more calls here if I can. Gary and Burnaby, you've been very patient. Gary, welcome. Good afternoon, Jody and Mayor West. First of all, Jody, it's not a justice system. Damn, it's a legal system. It, it has nothing to do with justice. As far as I'm concerned, I made this suggestion sometime in the back in the 1990s. The judges and the boards that make these decisions must be held accountable for the actions of the person they release. If they turn around and release this guy and he goes down and he stabs three people, then the people on that stupid bloody board should be held accountable and charged for facilitating him to be able to do that. And if they have a problem with people sitting on the board, I'll do it. This is crazy. Allowing these It feels crazy, to- yeah. Gary, sorry to cut you off. We're up against the clock here just a little bit. I want to give the last uh, 20 seconds to you, Mayor West. What can we as a society do to, to put pressure on the people, as you say, would do a review on this as opposed to take action. How many more people need to fall victim to a random attack like this from a violent offender who's been released? The most important thing we can do is not forget this moment, not forget how we feel right now. Too many politicians depend on the public to get distracted or to forget or the next big issue comes around. And we forget about how we're feeling right now. We forget about the victims. We forget about wanting to see the change. And so we have to hold on to this and we have to fight for it. We have to vote for it. I have to mobilize. I mean, anything that has changed in this country is because the people are the ones who make it happen. And that's what we have to do here. We need to hold on to this and keep fighting. We need to demand change. Mayor Brad West, as always, thank you for making yourself available. Appreciate uh, you taking the time today. Thanks very much for having me, Jody. Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett. We're going back to the conversation about policing in Surrey again. Yes, it's still ongoing. It feels like the the saga that is unending. And certainly with the reconvening of city council in Surrey yesterday, uh, everybody was on pins and needles to see if... The remainder of the budget will be activated for Surrey Police Services as mandated by the province to get some people hired, some recruits in the system to put recruitment messaging out to get the vehicles dusted off out of warehouses and get more 
law enforcement on the streets, get the RCMP and the SPS working in tandem and have that transition that's been mandated by the provincial government, by the Solicitor General, uh, the public safety minister, Mike Farnworth, saying it is a moving forward situation with Surrey Police Services. After we signed off the air on the Jill Bennett show yesterday, right off the top of his show, Jazz Johal welcomed Mayor Brenda Locke to the program. It was quite the interview. It was interesting to hear the perspective of Mayor Locke on why it is such a slow rollout for what has been mandated by the province. Here's Brenda Locke, here's the mayor, on how there really is no clear path forward from the province. We're not very far. (laughs) Sadly, we haven't uh, seen a lot of progress forward, and uh, that's been that's been disappointing. You know, there's been enormous challenges for us at the city, and uh, I think the biggest one is that we don't have a clear path forward from the province. The RCMP, the SPS, and I can tell you the city of Surrey have been asking for that plan, but we all have no plan, no path forward. Frustrated our other councillors. We had uh, Councillor Linda Anison with us yesterday, and and Councillor Annis was laying down that this is costing taxpayers of Surrey two hundred and sixty six thousand dollars a day to have two forces activated. The province has said do the transition for every SPS officer brought on, release uh, an RCMP officer to another jurisdiction around British Columbia that's starved for help that needs those RCMP officers. That's the root of the province's um, plan here, is to ensure that that all of British Columbia is safe. And Surrey, having the SPS growing, is seems to be the province's goal, seems to be the mandate that is being put forward by Minister Farnworth. Brenda Locke, though, says the cost of this transition is, is weighing heavily on pa- taxpayers. You know, I, I can't really answer that um, What I can tell you, though, is that this is a generational decision. And so we know that um, it's going to be more than 30. We expect it's going to be closer to 40 or $50 million more, the Delta, every single year. And when you start to compound that, and that's on the operational side, that gets very scary. But that doesn't take into uh, consideration any of uh, the capital costs that you're talking about, because those are also extraordinary. IT, you're right, is is very expensive, but there's lots of other um, issues. And we haven't seen those budgets come from the uh, Surrey Police Service to know exactly what they're looking for at this point. The push, the pull, the politics. We bring in former Surrey councillor and former RCMP officer Jack Hundial to the program. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jody. Good afternoon. So what do you see happening here? Can both things be true with Minister Farnworth saying, let's move forward, SPS will be the, uh, the, the force of jurisdiction, uh, I'm mandating that this move forward, and yet everything stalls at council. What is, what is the, what's, what's the politics we're seeing play out here? Well, I don't think it's stalled at, at council. I think um, uh, council, even in the previous council where I was a uh, part of, um, you know, there was a, a mandate moving forward from the voters at the time. And, you know, subsequently after the last election, uh, that's changed. Um, the RCMP continues to be the police force of jurisdiction. 
uh, in there. And my understanding, uh, based even on the recent communications, there's been up to six uh, letters from the city, including uh, Mayor Locke, uh, asking the province for, okay, what is the plan then? If you don't like our plan, which you didn't tell us why you didn't like it, what's the plan moving forward? Um, and that seems to be sort of the big unknown here. Uh, of course, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Surrey taxpayer. I have a house in Surrey. And, yeah. um, um, you know, so I do see when those uh, when those tax bills do come, um, talking to the presidents, uh, neighbours, family, everyone else there, uh, this is a significant um, uh, cost for uh, any taxpayer to be paying for two police forces. When really fundamentally from the from the beginning, um, you know, when I first uh, uh, supported this, uh, it said two things. Uh, it has to provide a, a a difference in public safety and needs to work for taxpayers. And the underpinning issues of the time were, were two. One, the funding behind it, which is still a bit of the unknown. And the other part is the, the HR piece of it. And as we know, recruiting police officers uh, anywhere across North America nowadays, so much has changed in policing um, from when I started in, in 92 uh, to now. Uh, so it is becoming more and more challenging, I think, for all agencies. And it's not just in policing. I think, I think it's in, the, in the public service side, generally, it's becoming more of a challenge. Um, but that issue still can be something that I think every police force I know in British Columbia is, is grappling with it. How do we get the recruiting numbers in? It, well, and it's even ever more difficult for the SPS uh, to recruit when they're not allowed to even publicly ask for recruits to sign up. Mm-hmm. And 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 really the push and pull between the RCMP in Surrey and the SPS, it seems unfair that these two forces are really almost pit against one another because of the politics around this. I want to go back to what you said off the top, that there were six letters sent to the province. Do you get the feeling, because you've got that unique perspective of being a former Surrey City Councillor, you saw this whole thing in its infancy, and as a former RCMP officer, you see it from a policing standpoint, would you put the onus of the the slow the slowness of this rollout or the transition when, when Minister Farnworth says it's going to take 18 months to do a full transition for SPS to become the the force of, of jurisdiction in Surrey? Are you putting the weight of this delay on the province, or would you say that they're that both uh, the province and the municipality are are wearing um, the the ridiculously high cost of having two police forces at eight million dollars a month? I, I go back to that initial report that was produced, and I believe it was 2019 by the city and council at that time, which is a 189 page report, which Minister Farnworth uh, took out with, uh, which was reviewed by um, uh, Mr. Wally Opal at the time. Uh, which yes. said, here, here's, here's the path you can move forward. And even then, there's so many questions raised initially early on. Where's the funding going to come from? The resourcing behind it. Uh, you know, IT is always, uh, always one because the ever-evolving world of IT is expensive. So all those were unknown. Um, and really, um, I think the failure was from the onset of even approving that, saying, hey, look, it's a green light. And yet that due diligence... Um, was not done on the front end. And at that point, I mean, Minister Farnworth was the minister at the time too. So I, I put a majority of this actually on squarely on his shoulders and I followed it up with the with the MLAs in Surrey because they've been absolutely silent on this whole thing. They choose to, to just step aside from it. And as, as, as one of them told me, it's just a landmine. We don't even want to deal with that. <laughs> 
Um, right. Because so the, sir, because think, that, hmm? sorry, go ahead, go ahead, finish your thought. No, the, 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 the people that end up paying the price are not only taxpayers, but it's also the, the members in both forces. And, and I have friends and colleagues, people yes. I've worked with that are in both organizations. At the end of the day, these individuals need to have some sort of security. Look, am I going to be here? Does my spouse have a job here moving forward? Uh, or do I need to look at relocating to another part of the country? And for SPS members, because the majority of them did come from other organizations, look, at this point, do I leave one organization to help get another one off the ground? And so the impact is really unfair, ultimately, for those, for those officers. And how much are they going to be invested in the city of Surrey uh, in a new police force starting up or even staying on with the RCMP um, to finish up the contract even um, with that? So I think that's where it's really unfair as well. Taxpayers one piece, but the people actually doing frontline policing in Surrey need to have clarity on this. Jody Vanson for Jill today, and we're going to talk about air travel. But air travel has really evolved and changed over the last three years, hasn't it? When was the last time you hopped on a plane? Did you feel different about getting on that plane? Do you feel different knowing about some of the incidents that you're hearing about happening on planes? Like passengers behaving badly on board flights used to usually involve, you know, like smoking in the bathroom or... um, trying to sneak up to the front of the plane and, and jack one of those seats or, or, you know, talking loudly or turning on your phone. Things have really changed. There's been sort of, a, well, not sort of, there has been a dramatic increase in in-flight passenger incidents um, since the return to moving freely about the globe. Um, and you wonder what to chalk it up to. You know, is it is it less business travel? So there are fewer people that are savvy at travel aboard these flights, or have we just all lost the plot a little bit? And and what about the do's and don'ts when it comes to disruptions on a flight? Are you one to step in, or are you one to just put your head down, put your headphones on, and lean out? Um, gonna get some advice on the do's and don'ts and maybe share some of our experiences. If you have an in-flight experience, I'd love to hear from you. We will open up the phone lines as we welcome good friend of the program, Duncan D, who's an air travel specialist who happens to be former COO of Air Canada, knows a little something about air travel, particularly in Canada. Duncan, always good to talk with you. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. So when it comes to incidents in flight, um, are we seeing a a marked increase in them, or are we just hearing about them more often? So um, if you take a look at the numbers, and unfortunately, Canada doesn't do a very good job of collecting the numbers, so we have to rely on what we see in the U.S. There has been a marked increase in in in-flight incidents that have been reported, and I think that's critical, that have been reported uh, over the last year. Uh, And so, you know, we're seeing more incidents of disruptive travelers, more incidents where travelers have been Uh, taken off aircraft uh, for not following uh, orders of the crew. So things of that nature, we have seen um, somewhat of an increase over the last year. And um, I would expect that we're seeing the same thing in uh, Canada as well. So with the the story that was last week, I mean, I still think about it all the time because I don't know what I would do. I'd probably have landed on the no-fly list. Um, these women who were flying back from Las Vegas to Montreal got to their seats. The, the seats had, you know, there was an attempt to clear um, vomit, bodily fluids on this seat. There were coffee grounds in the pockets and perfume sprayed on it and, you know, trying to hide it. 
and turn over that flight to, to and then these women were basically told by the pilot allegedly that that you know you have two options either sit down and you fly in these seats or or you get off the plane and and find another way at your own expense to get home or we're putting you on the no fly list if you continue with this disruption what should those women have done should they have done anything differently than said i'm not sitting in this chair well look i mean i think first of all we have to recognize the fact that um, the airline has already issued an apology which is an acknowledgement that they screwed up um, and so, you know, this was the onus was not on the uh, passengers in that particular case to prove that they should have been happy to sit in um, contaminated seats, seats that were obviously soiled. Um, you know, every aircraft that uh, is in the air goes through a grooming process in between flights, or at least they have right. to be groomed in between flights. So this was a failure on on many accounts by the airline staff that were involved starting with the grooming process in between the arrival of the flight uh, in Las Vegas and the departure of this flight back to Montreal. So, you know, the fact that the grooming was obviously not um, done or at least done completely, um, you know, I think these travelers did what they had to do to ensure that their comfort and, you know, maybe even their health uh, was yeah. properly uh, protected. So, you know, the fact that the airline has apologized now for it, belatedly, um, you know, is a clear indication that uh, the airline was in the wrong here. And so I think, you know, travelers need to be very careful, though, about when right. they do um, speak up for themselves, because if that is misinterpreted, uh, since 9-11, uh, you know, which w- the anniversary was just yesterday, aircrew have a lot of leeway in terms of, uh, ensuring the safety of the aircraft well beyond what they had uh, prior to that. And so crews um, are you know, primarily there for the safety of the traveler. So in most instances, and I don't believe this is one of them, but in most instances, crews are acting in the best interest of the travelers that are on board the aircraft for their safety. But clearly in this case, uh, there was a complete... Um, you know, breakdown, uh, yeah. screw up, a breakdown in, yeah. in the way yeah. the crew and the ground staff reacted. So, Duncan, and but along those lines, in the moment, I mean, it would feel if, if I was standing before that seat, if I was that traveler, I, I would have said, you know, I'm not I'm not going to sit on that seat. But if the pilot has Absolutely. said you're going to go on the no no fly list, I would have said, okay, well, at that point, when an error is in the pro in, in process of happening, as a as a traveler, as somebody who is um, on a flight, you, we have to be so cautious in the moment. To what are the do's and don'ts here? Remain calm. Use tactful words. Be respectful. You, what what are some of the tools that air travelers? could use in situations that that perhaps get tense i feel for flight attendants right now there's a whole new level of stress involved with air travel especially with regard to you're going to lose my luggage i know you are uh, to the person that's never going to touch their bag so there's already sort of this acrimonious vibe between um the, you know the people that work for the airline and the traveler and also coming in with you know nine bags thinking oh well this is just my carry on you know there's that kind of tension and then the traveler to traveler tension that can escalate quickly what are some of the tools you would you would give to to people who are who are embarking on on a trip and might face some of that 
Yeah, I mean, you're so right, Jody. And, you know, travelers, uh, let's just remember here that travelers have been put through the absolute ringer in terms of their travel experience now for over, well over a year, at least here in Canada. And so, you know, they're going on to that aircraft already stressed, worried about their check bag, worried about their connecting flight, just worried about getting to where they want to go. And so the, the, this is advice that is easier said than done, but I really would hope that listeners understand the situation that they are in when they're on board an aircraft and they're interacting with crew members. So the first thing they really should do is remain calm. You know, you will be tempted to lash out, to be angry. And so, you know, even in the incident that you described at the top where, you know, these uh, travelers were placed in seats that were uh, soiled, you know, the best thing and the, the most important thing to do is to remain calm. If the flight is still at the gate, they're well within their rights to ask to speak to the ground staff or a supervisor. So the captain is definitely in charge, especially when the flight, uh, when the aircraft door is closed. But they're, they were, if they were still at the gate, just as this was, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a traveler um, can make it clear in a very calm demeanor that the, the seat is soiled and that they do not wish to travel the you know, the entire flight in these soiled seats. And so I think that, you know, this is an instance, first of all, let me just be very clear that this is a very, very rare instance. You know, in the 15 years I was at Air Canada, I had never, ever heard of a single example of this where travelers are are threatened to be placed on a no-fly list because they refuse to sit in a soiled seat. But soiled seating, unfortunately, is relatively frequent. You know, look at the number of travelers who have little children who spill things, And so, you know, airlines are well-equipped to address the situation before it gets to this point. And so I think we need to remind travelers that being calm, being informed, and knowing how to properly communicate their concerns uh, without escalating the situation is critical. And hopefully flight crew are also aware of how to do that and how to address these situations more appropriately than what we saw last week. Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett chatting with my good friend Duncan D, who is an air travel specialist, former chief operating officer of Air Canada. And we've been talking about some in-flight issues, disruptions that might happen and the do's and don'ts that travelers um, should be aware of or keep in mind when taking to the skies in sort of this new era. And Duncan, one of the things that came to mind for me prior to the break was how things shifted and changed during COVID. You know, people wearing masks, people not wanting to wear masks, people having to mandatory mask up. Um, and that caused a lot of friction. And and now it's sort of, it's looser and, and people can wear masks if they like and, and, and not wear masks if they choose to not wear masks. And But there, there's another piece of that of just, you know, Keeping low profile, just kind of keeping to yourself in your travel, that can go a long way, right? Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the, the pandemic changed a lot of things, not just uh, for uh, travelers, but also uh, for folks within the industry. And so, you know, I think that mm-hmm. d- definitely it goes a long way. And I think that, uh, you know, we need to be mindful of a lot of the things that we saw during the pandemic and how it's affecting not just air travel, but just the way we behave overall. Right. Our, we're not as social as we once were, that it has impacted all of us, some more than others. Let's go to the phone line. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898, easy, and a free call on yourself. Star 9898. Colleen in Tawasin. Welcome to the show, Colleen. Hi. Thanks Hi. for taking my call. Yeah. Of 
course. I was going to just uh, talk about um, a flight, a regional flight that I took a couple of years ago during COVID. And um, I got on the plane and there were these two uh, young men, probably like late teens, early 20s. And I, I think that they had probably had too much to drink, but they were just extremely foul, raucous, loud swearing. And I thought, oh, um, yeah, I, I think that the, you know, the flight attendants will, will take care of it. And I noticed that they were really, really young, the flight attendants, probably just early 20s. And nobody said anything for the longest time. And so I thought, okay, um, I'm just going to nicely just ask if they could uh, watch their language. And then the whole thing just began. They, um, one guy was just really belligerent. And um, and I thought, oh, well, I, I think somebody will probably back me up. And um, nobody on the plane backed me up. And I just sort of felt really just defeated. Um, mm-hmm. I wrote... I wrote to the uh, airline, and uh, they didn't acknowledge uh, my letter or um, at all. But I just thought, you know, a, a couple of them are kind of wrecking the flight for everyone, but nobody said anything except for me. And I just thought, there's just something wrong with this picture. <laughs> hey, Colleen, can I ask you a question? Are you a mom? Yes. Yeah, because so, that's a yeah. mom move. I would probably do that. And and your cautionary tale here would probably <laughs> deter me from doing that in the future because you'd think, hey, guys, yeah. guys, can you just be a little mindful? Yeah. I see what you're doing. You're having a good time. Don't want to don't want to wreck your time. But, you know, respect. Yeah. Right, Duncan? Is that our mistake as moms that we just want to, you know, kind of parent on the plane? Look, that was a, a mom move, and I'm a dad, and that would have been a dad move. So, I mean, I think that this oh, is one sure. of those things <laughs> yeah. where where we behave um, the way we, uh, you know, the, the way we want our kids to see us. And, you know, obviously those two, those two young men were not uh, mindful of that at all. First of all, I think that um, instead of speaking to, the, my advice would have been, instead of speaking to them directly, you should have raised this issue first with a flight crew who were there, right. you know, for your comfort and, and your safety. And so mm-hmm. they are really the ones who are in charge. Um, and so instead of taking these incidents into your own hands, um, you you know, your first line of defense really should be to raise it with the crew members who are there, who are really trained to address situations like this. You know, these are very, very busy professionals who may not have been hearing what you were hearing. Um, and so raising it, you know, in, in a polite way might have gone some way into addressing your comfort and perhaps the comfort of others. And maybe they would have backed you up, too, at that point. Thanks, Colleen. Yeah, Let's go to Nancy in New West. I, sorry, I want to squeeze in another call here. Sorry to cut you off there, Colleen. That was a great call. But Nancy's been so patient. I want to make sure I get you in. I've only got a minute here, Nancy. What do you want to say here? Hi, Jody. So this was long Hi. before COVID when uh, flights actually you could book your children under two in for free. There was a family oh, yes. behind me on a flight returning from Toronto ridiculously early in the morning. All I wanted to do was sleep. The dad had baby in his arms. Mom had a quote unquote a two year old. The child started kicking my seat. I softly turned around and said, please don't let your child uh, kick my seat. I'm really trying to sleep. Uh, She didn't say anything. I fell asleep. The child kicked my seat so hard 
it bounced the seat and woke me out of a dead sleep. When I turned around oh, yeah. and said to her, I asked you, she says, he only two in exactly that yeah. tone of voice. And I just looked at her and went, my two-year-old never did that on a plane. I uh, hear you, child, sister Nancy. No I'm sorry to cut you off. Sorry to cut you off. I'm up against the clock. Duncan, we have heard this story before. It is there. That's why there's an argument to have ch- child-free flights, right? Or child-only flights, because this is a really uh, tough one to dial in. Very tough. And again, my advice in that particular case is the same as the first time, uh, first one, right. which is raise it with a crew member rather than confronting your fellow traveler. And the crew member will likely have a better way of handling the situation. They could have moved uh, the, the, the child in question or they could have moved you if they had extra seats on the flight. So, you know, um, perhaps uh, give the crew members a chance to fix the problem uh, before uh, Use that call yourself. button. Right. Use that call you button. These are professionals. Advice, Use that call button. Have them come over, whisper, hey, if you wouldn't mind with the person behind us, that would be great. Duncan D., as always, so great to chat with you. I learned something every single time. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Jody. I'm Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett. And today, today, Health Canada approved the new Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. And we are all being told if it's been more than six months since our last COVID-19 vaccination, we should think about getting a boost or our yearly COVID vaccine, like a yearly flu shot. People who want to argue about how many vaccines is it going to take? It's like the flu. It evolves like the flu. We get a yearly vaccine and Moderna or Spike Vax. If, if I'm going by its proper name now, we have to get used to these new names. All COVID-19 vaccines authorized in Canada are proven safe, effective, and of high quality. There are always going to be people who have lots of questions when it comes to vaccinations, particularly around COVID-19. And so we are always thrilled to have our next guest join us. He is an expert in emerging pathogens like COVID-19, a researcher, a scientist. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's my friend. He is Jason Tetro, and he's joining us on the line. Jason, thanks for being with us today. Oh, you know, it's always a pleasure. And you know, whenever we get together, we could usually do two hours of open phones. So we're going to open phones (laughs) right away so that people can line up with their questions because disinformation, especially with regard to our health, is so rampant right now that people get stuck in headline reading or silos and they get worried about things and they and they worry about asking the wrong question. And frankly, with you, Jason, there's never a wrong question and you're so good with the explanations being put in layperson's terms so I can understand them. Um, I want to make sure that our <laughs> listener has the most access to you that they possibly can. So if you've got a question about anything to do with the respiratory season that we are going into or the surge in COVID-19 that is happening right now, the new Moderna uh, bivalent vaccination, the mRNA vaccine that has been approved as of today, or the Novavax vaccine that does not use mRNA technology. We're going to talk about all of that today. 604-280-9898 is the number. If you have a question for Jason Tetro, now is your opportunity to call in and ask that question as I get a couple of questions out of the way off the top. Again, the number to call, Mm -hmm. 604-280-9898 is the number star 9898, a free call in yourself. So Jason, 
Let's dive right into what Spike Vax or Moderna's approved vaccine is all about. Is this the most recent Omicron variant that we're battling here? Um, it is the one that was really starting to circulate around the globe about two to three months ago, um, XB1, XBB 1.5. And of course, people are going to be like, well, what does that mean? Well, XBB actually means across X between two different Bs, BB, and then it's a lineage from that that's a little bit down the line. One, so it's XBB1, there's an XBB2 and XBB3.5, so it's sort of like the fifth rendition of the XBB1. That's essentially how the nomenclature is. What's important isn't the name itself, but what we call the lineage. In other words, have you ever seen like family trees? You know, like when they do like the royals and stuff and they have like these family trees and who begot yeah. whom and who begot whom. Well, sometimes Ancestry. you have like because, <laughs> yeah, something yeah. like that. Well, most of the time they come from the same lineage and XBB comes from sort of a BA2, BA5 lineage. And then it kind of goes down from there. Now, there's another one, which is kind of like the cousin we never really knew about called BA 2.86, which a lot of people have talked about. It doesn't really do a lot when it comes to infecting, so don't worry too much about that. Um, but the XBB 1.5 is sort of the head or ancestor of all the lineages that are currently circulating this particular season. So what you want to do is you want to get a vaccine that is going to target that ancestral point so that all the ones that are downstream simply will not be able to uh, evade the same way that we saw the alpha, beta, delta evade the original vaccine that we had back in 2021. So that's sort of the, the, the reasoning for the XBB 1.5. And it's also the reason why we should be going to get it because we don't have that immunity currently in our bodies. Okay, so that's a big thing because I got a lot of people saying, hey, uh, we have natural immunity now. Uh, you know, the, we, the mm. science shows that we've all probably had COVID-19, even if we haven't tested mm -hmm. positive or we, you know, yeah. so w once you have it, you don't ever need to get a vaccine again. Like there are people that just feel like we're done. We're finished here. What do you say to that? Well, actually, that's just the, the studies themselves pretty much show that the opposite is true because... If you've only been infected with the virus itself, then there's a really good likelihood you're going to get reinfected and you're also going to have a, a risk for long COVID and stuff. And remember, we're looking at around 10 to 15 percent of people who are unvaccinated have a risk for long COVID down the, down the road. Um, if you have been vaccinated, then you may still end up getting a reinfected, but the symptoms are going to be pretty low. Um, you're not going to have a lot of problems and you're probably not going to get long COVID. And then if you've had the hybrid immunity, which is what we've heard about a lot over the last six months, which means you got the vaccine and you also had an infection sometime in the past two years, then there's a likelihood that you're going to have a robust ability to protect yourself against any kind of infection. That doesn't say you're not going to get infected. You probably still will. You probably will have a little bit of, you know, a sore throat and things like that, but you're not going to have a serious problem. Now, if you get the XBB 1.5, then what that means is that you're going to have an even greater likelihood of resisting the current circulating strains so that you might not even feel that sore throat. Wow. Okay. Well, a lot of people are well, like, I'm game. give it work. to me. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> right, right. Vaccines do save lives. Some people want to say that vaccines are a political scheme 
that that hurt people. No, like the the disinformation uh, is yeah. so thick, Jason. Like it's it's so mm-hmm. thick. I know I'm going to get emails in my inbox from from people saying, "What you know? Why are you talking about vaccines?" Because we mm-hmm. have to discuss this. It is a scary, scary time, and and people, the majority of Canadians are getting vaccinated, right? Like, let's just lay that out there. The the, the majority well, of Canadians are on side with this, aren't they? Let. Let, let's take a bit of a look at that, okay? Most yeah. people, and we're talking close to 90%, got the first two, right? The the primary right. series, oh, which is awesome. I see what's happening. Yeah. And then we got about six out of 10 Canadians, depending on what province you're in, that got the third shot, which was, you know, a booster. But then the fourth shot, which was actually a um, bivalent that had the BA1, um, which, you know, was kind of okay. It kind of helped protect against BA2 and BA5, but not all that great. Um, we got maybe three out of 10 people. But by the time we got to the four or five, which was the one that actually was going to protect us against all the downstream lineages, even to this point, well, that got down to about 12%. And it was the worst Wow, in 12% in Canada. That surprises yeah, yeah. me. Well, you know what? Look, every year we have a flu shot, right? Like four out of 10 people will get the flu shot every year. So we're no longer looking at an 85 to 90 percent uptake. We're looking at maybe a 40 percent as being the highest. So 12 percent out of 40, you're still looking at about a 30 percent uptake in that sense. That's still a lot better than the states where they had such a low level for both the BA1 and BA5 that the current lineages are not only just circulating, they're really causing harm. That's why you're hearing about all these people ending up going back into hospitals and, and why they're thinking about bringing back mask mandates and all of this type of thing, because they didn't get vaccinated. And so they're all unprotected about against the current strains that are going around. Thankfully, you know, we have these vaccines and now the XBB 1.5 is coming out. And all I can say is please, please, please let's beat that 41% that we do for flu. (laughs) Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett, continuing our chat with the super awesome science guy, Jason Techo himself. He is a, an author, a speaker, a scientist who specializes in emerging pathogens like COVID-19, but can give us direction on all kinds of health issues. And Jason, you and I have been talking since back in the days of, of discussing measles outbreaks and what have mm-hmm. you, long before a pandemic. And here we are navigating our way through sort of that bumpy part where, as you mentioned prior to the break, there are some people that are just like, you know what? I was two and done. I'm not getting any more vaccines for COVID-19. If I get it, fine. We have one listener, uh, and people tend, I guess, are, are a little bit shy to, to call with their questions because I'm getting a bunch of emails, Jody at cknw.com. I'm getting them. I will ask Jason your questions. Um, but mm-hmm. it's been more people calling into the controller and saying, can you ask this question for me? And one asked if the shots are actually necessary since the wastewater isn't showing that many cases right now, she says. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's a great question because we've been talking about wastewater as being, you know, the sentinel or the early warning system for something that's coming. The reason that you want to get a shot before the wastewater starts to increase, which it's going to, is because you still need about two weeks in order for you to get that immunity so that you can protect yourself. If you were to wait until the wastewater level started going up, then the virus is already circulating. And I also should mention that the wastewater itself is already lagged. So if you start seeing a rise in the water 
or wastewater levels, it's already circulating in your community. It's just they're picking it up now because it takes somewhere between four to seven days before it starts to really get into your um, fecal matter. So anyway, um, the fact of the matter is you want to do this earlier and then as the wastewater is starting to rise, you can just sit back, put up your feet and say, well, I'm protected. I don't have much to worry about. The definition of preventative medicine right there. Uh, we were talking about <laughs> Moderna being approved, that that vaccine is approved for mm-hmm. everyone six months or older. When we're talking yeah. about that, quote unquote, new technology, people were really concerned about mRNA. Others are saying, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. They believing mm-hmm. that it's somehow a negative for them or they they had a bad experience or a, an adverse reaction with an mRNA ba- vaccine. Novavax is available in Canada now. You can request that, right? Yes, you can. You can request that. And Novavax is coming out with an XBV. Um, It's currently waiting for approval in the United States. um, And it should actually be coming up in Canada probably in the next month or so. So the thing is that Novavax's technology, as you said, is not uh, an mRNA. What it does is it actually produces the spike protein in a laboratory, which is one of the coolest things, because I used to actually do this technology myself. Um, And then what they do is they add what's called an adjuvant, which makes your immune system really annoyed and just want to start bashing things, which is what you want when you have a vaccine. Um, And it comes from uh, the soapbark tree. So, I mean, Novavax is a really cool technology, and I've been watching this one since the beginning. It's just that they've run into little hiccups here and there. They ran into some, you know, regulatory complications. And then by the time they finally came out, well, pretty much everybody had already had their mRNA shots. And so as a result of that, they kind of had to wait for the next round. Well, this is the next round. This is the XBB shots. And they're hoping that they can really get out there and be a major player with the other two big um, companies. All right. 604-280-9898 is the number to call if you've got a question for Jason Tetro. Easy free call on your cell as well. Star 9898. Keith in Nanaimo, you're up first. Welcome, Keith. Yeah, thanks very much. I was just thinking that um, most of the conversations on talk radio about COVID shots have been related to the epidemiological or the or the medical uh, perspective, and I think they need to be mm-hmm. asked more about the sociological issues. You know, you get a measles shot for your kids or yourself in the past because you know it's going to prevent measles. It's, it's effective, so a large percentage of people get it. You get a flu shot, it may or may not be effective. They say, what is it, 40 or 50 percent of, of a chance of reducing it or, or not getting it? Okay, so there's, mm-hmm. it's worth a shot, but you get maybe half the population or less who gets a flu shot. COVID, I mean, most, most of us have got COVID at some point along the way. We got multiple COVID shots, uh, varying numbers along the way. But you're making the mental connection saying, well, I got it because the government said I had to. And then they relaxed that. And I got COVID anyways, um, even if I got the shot. So kind of what's the point? I'm not saying it's the right outcome, but I'm, I am saying that I think, I think if there was more focus put on asking a sociologist or psychologist, well, why is the population asking like that? You get better insights about how to react to it. So anyways, yeah. Uh, ahead, Jason. I mean, thanks, Keith. No, you're, you're yeah, thanks, it's Keith. a great like, point. We like this honestly, discussion. I, yeah. And I, I mean, this is the type of thing that I hear all the time from people is, you know, I got it already. Why bother? It really comes down to one thing. Okay. We're still dealing with a SARS virus. 
<laughs> and as a result of that, you're not only looking at the acute infection itself, you're also looking at the potential for a long COVID infection. And long COVID is really associated, and although we don't have all the data and we're still figuring it out, it's still associated with long-term inflammation as a result of the infection that you had. Now, one of the things that we learned very, very early on was if you got vaccinated, that helped to tamp down the inflammation, even if you did get an infection. That's why people, you know, had less likelihood of going into hospitals and things like that. So when you're talking about something that has those secondary effects, like a COVID or like a measles, because remember, measles also has a secondary effect, or like chickenpox, because we know that chickenpox has secondary effects. Sometimes they, you know, end up with uh, shingles later on in life. Then what you're thinking about not only is for the acute phase of this particular season, but you're thinking also down the long term as to how can I prevent problems two, three, 10, 20 years from now by getting this shot today. And I got my first shingles vaccine just before COVID-19, the pandemic hit, and I had mm -hmm. a reaction to that vaccine and I have to get my second one. So this is a total personal question. If you don't mind me lobbing this at you with 30 seconds sure. to go, do I need to start again and get the first one and the second one? Because it was supposed to be six months apart, and I, but I didn't yeah. get the opportunity to get the second one. Do I have to start that series over again? Because I will. I don't I'd, rather, I'd rather get the rash from the shot than the shingles. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. But at this point, you probably are going to have to start over because the reason you want the six months is because you're allowing your immune system to relax and then you're spiking it up again. Very similar to when we Got did it. the booster shots in the primary series, which of course is much better eight weeks as opposed to three weeks. But, you know, sometimes we learn with practice. We do. I always learn when I chat with you, Jason Tetro, and I'm sorry for everybody who decided they were going to be brave and lined up on our phone board. I'm sorry. It's a Zick and Sue and Mary. Um, go to our buzz line, 604-331-2899, if you want to leave a comment there. Uh, thank you, Jason, for your time as always. Such a pleasure to have you on here. That's always a fun. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune in to the Jill Bennett Show live from noon till 3 on 980 CKNW. Have a question or comment? Send me an email, jill at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.